0: Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. For further information about Northridge Church, visit us online at northridgethompson.com. I believe that when all of the fullness of time will come, I think the most important thing, in fact, the only thing that's going to matter in all of eternity is not what did you do with your life? What did you do with your money? What did you do with your time? I think those things are very important, but I think the only thing that's going to matter in the fullness of all things, when we stand before God, it's what did you do with Jesus? I believe that's the only question that we're going to have to face. It's not, were you a good guy, were you a good gal? Because we find that true in the Bible Belt, don't we? And In the towns that we live in down south, we think that we're a pretty good guy or a pretty good gal that does an occasional bad thing. When the scriptures are very, very direct that we're not good, there's none good, no not one, but Jesus. And as we look into these questions of who is this guy Jesus, it separates us, it separates all other faiths. Because a lot of people can throw out the one-liners of the man upstairs, or, or God did this, or whatever. But when they say Jesus, it separates all other conversations. The reality is, is that's the question that not only are we going to be faced with this in the series of he is, but we're going to be faced with that every single day of our life. Because if we acknowledge that Jesus is who he said he is, that he did what he said he did, that he's coming again to rule and to reign for all of eternity, that if we believe that, that it's indefinitely going to do something in the outflow of our life. It's going to change the way we act. It's going to change the way we talk. It's going to change the way we do life. See, when we sit down and we try to teach people, and we do that. Pastor David does it. I know Pastor Steve has done it. Every other pastor in this room. We try to encourage people. We call it equipping the saints. This is what you're to do because this is what the Bible says. Everything about the Bible is kind of like an if-then statement. It's not a bunch of rules and regulations. We find that in the Old Testament, 613 laws of thou shall and thou shalt not. And it only proved to us we needed a Savior that by grace we could walk into His favor, His salvation, and the fullness of God. Not just in heaven, but even now here on earth. But the reality, the big difference is that we can tell you how to live, how to give, how to sing, how to worship, how to study, how to love people, how to forgive. We can do all of those things. But what I submit to you today is that when I and you, when we put our head around who Jesus truly is, that the other things will become byproducts of our faith. That there is a response. James said it this way. He says, if you have faith, there will be a work by your faith. In fact, he was so bold to say that if, if you have faith and it doesn't have works to follow it, your faith is dead. So when we talk about who Jesus is, we go back to the really the big question that Jesus himself asked. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. If not, we're going to throw it up on the screen today. Matthew, chapter 16. Remember, just as an understanding of Scripture, that there are four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic Gospels. That means that they contain somewhere around 89 to 91% of the same information. Different perspectives, but completely synonymous, if you will. That They carry the same trends, the same parables, the same healings, the same uh, uh, messages, the discourses. And then you get to John's gospel and it kind of breaks form. It only contains about 11% of the same information. You don't find healing of lepers. You don't find parables. You don't find uh, lineage of this person begat this person like you do in Matthew chapter 1. But in Matthew's gospel, we see Jesus from a perspective of a a lion. That he, his kingship, coming out of the root of David. And then we get to to Mark and we see him as an ox or a beast of burden. We see the servant aspect of Jesus. One who would come not to be served but to serve people. To literally take upon himself the lowest of the low servants. To even get on his knees and to wash his disciples' nasty, dirty feet that would have been just beyond anything we could have thought of for a king to do. And then we get into Luke and we see the humanity that we have to realize today to truly know who Jesus is. That he was not only fully God as you heard Ben say in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In verse 14 that word became flesh. He became human and dwelt among us. And watch this. And we beheld his glory. We can acknowledge. And for him, and in verse 17, and by him all things consist or are held together. But when we draw that proverbial line in the sand and we get to John's gospel, we cut straight to the majesty, the eagle. That's the perspective that John writes. We get straight to the I ams, for example. He says, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world. He goes on to say that I'm the door or the gate. I'm the way in. He said, I'm the good shepherd. He said, I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. The declarations that we're going to look at today and next week is that Jesus says, I am these things that we need to take note of. And we need to realize that Jesus made these proclamations over his own life. That we don't have to stand back as these people did in this video. It, who is he? Because here's where we'd have to land. Some say he's a great prophet. And I believe that he was. Some say he was a great teacher a rabbi. I agree with that as well. Some say he was a great man, a humanitarian. All those things are true. He was a healer. Others yet say he was a blasphemer. Remember the the young boy, the, the man that was healed from his blindness. People were shouting and said, hey, this guy's a blasphemer. He's a false guy. He's a liar. And you know what he said? He didn't get in here and preach this long discourse of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He just cut to the chase and said, hey, I don't know who he is or what he is. But one thing I'm certain of, I was blind, but now I can see. You see, we have to land on a place Do we think he's a liar? Do we think that he was insane? Because do you know, even the people that say, Ah, he was a good prophet. He was a good teacher. He was a good guy. I mean, he did some incredible things. Maybe he even had some miraculous power so he could heal people. Maybe I can't even agree to that. But those same people who deny his deity or deny that he was the son of God in the flesh, God incarnate, watch this. They say he was a good person. I have a problem with that because you and I see that even in our own culture today. Think about it. When we think of the David Koresh's of the world in, in, in Waco, Texas, or we take of the, the Jim Jones in the Guyana tragedy, and, and on and on and on categorically, we can go through and say, you know, these guys started out as swell guys, or they were a great prophet, or they're great. We don't do that, do we? We say they are complete idiots. They are clinically insane. We don't give the connotation that they're a good person, oh, but over here they're, they're claiming to be the Messiah. See, Jesus shattered all of those ideals and all those paradigms. He claimed to be God in the flesh. And in these self-declarations, he answers this question. And see, here's the question that's asked, I believe, not only to the disciples in Matthew chapter 16. As they were entering into Caesarea Philippi in verse 13 and 18. And he said these words. He says, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He made the declaration right there in his question. Who do people say that I, the Son of Man, am? He's reflecting on the book of Ezekiel. Where that same, that same uh, title was given to the prophet Ezekiel. To speak of humanity. Foreshadowing and prophesying the one who would come that would be the Son of Man. Why? Because he was born of a carpenter. He was born of a virgin named Mary. He came into humanity. And that's one thing we can't deny. But over here on the, on the other side of this, we realize that not only was he fully man, but he was fully God. And oh, watch this. He was those things at the same time. What do we do with that? That this guy was not only a good guy, a good teacher, a prophet, a humanitarian, and even a healer, for goodness sakes, but 500 people saw him walking the streets of Jerusalem after he was murdered on a cross. In our judicial system today, I submit to you that if you have one eyewitness account, you have an open and shut case. In most cases, it's settled. It's over. One eyewitness. In fact, we even have people that are on uh, serving life sentences today where there was no weapon, there was no eyewitness. It was just all of the circumstantial evidence. 500 people saw him walking the streets of Jerusalem. And he asked this question. Who do men say that I am? And their response was this. Some say you're John the Baptist. That was his cousin. Some say you're Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets, the weeping prophet. He said to him, and this is the question we have to ask ourselves today. But who do you say that I am? Not what does the church down the road say about Jesus. Not what does that religion over here say about Jesus. Not what does that mega church pastor on TV say about Jesus. But who do you say that I am? You see, you've got to answer that question. I can't answer it for you. I know who he is. He's the son of the living God. He is God incarnate. He's the healer. He is the connector to life and death. He's the one that can bring us out of hopelessness into the hope, the living hope. He is all things in between. He's the answer, if I may say it this way, to every spiritual question you and I shall ever have. I know who Jesus is and he lives in me. He's my redeemer. He's my Savior. He even said, I don't even call you servant. I call you my friend. And oh, by the way, I'm not just any friend. I'm the friend born out of adversity. I'm the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I will never leave you. I will how many of you are glad that he'll never leave you nor forsake you? See, the hope of the world is found in this question. Who do you say? Peter spoke up. Thou art the Christ. Thou art the anointed one, he said. You are the one. That they've spoken about. You are the one that will ride a mule, a mule coat in Zechariah 9 and 9. You will ride it into Jerusalem and they will sing Hosanna. Glory to God in the highest. And we're going to throw our coats upon this donkey. You're the one that they've been talking There's no way possible, Peter must have been thinking, that they could have spoke about all these things a thousand, 1, fifteen hundred years before. And now they're coming to fruition. It is not possible outside of the auspices of a holy God. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus' retort to him, Simon. He says, Jesus answered unto him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. He gives his surname here. He's getting down to the nitty gritty. of you remember when your mom and dad called you. We were in real trouble. Mark Pritchett, you better come here. He's getting serious with him, isn't he? He's going, Simon Barjona. You didn't get this from somebody down the road. You didn't get this from a teaching. You didn't even get this by being my apostle. Watch what he said. Blessed are you for flesh and blood. He's saying no man, no woman, no boy or girl, no sermon has told you this. It has not been revealed by you by some man, but by my Father, capital F, who is in heaven. And also I say to you, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. Aren't you glad that Jesus is building the church that we don't have to? The truth is, as we build it with our hands, it will fail. The only institution... The only institution that's going to, watch this, the only institution that's going to outlast the crazy chaos of this world in which you and I live, and you know it's crazy, is the church. Economic collapse, hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I, I submit to you, it's probably coming. The dollar is diminishing, it's all over the place. We'll just print more currency, we'll borrow more. We've given our culture to China. We've given it to other people. They own us. And all the debates that are going on right now, how we fix that. I'll tell you how we fix that. Where are we going, Mark? Where are we going? Some people say, well, you're just going to hell in a handbasket. Let me tell you where we're going. We're going back to Jesus. Make no mistake about it. We're going to end up exactly where we started. God didn't step back and go, oh, my goodness, these last seven years have been really tough, guys. I don't really know what. God's not sitting in heaven twiddling his thumbs. He's like, this is right in line with exactly what I said is going to happen. The intellects of this world, academia, can't figure that out. Because we're too smart for our own good. We've, we've tried to marry together all of these things that have happened. And they say, well, here, here's what happened. Jesus, Jesus what, couldn't have been in the beginning. And if God was in the beginning, there had to be a somebody to create God. There had to be a big bang. And there had to be some kind of origin of all. I'll tell you the big bang. The big bang was let there be. And there was. And the reality is, is Jesus is the one that we have to acknowledge. Why? Because he said, upon this truth, not upon Peter... There's religions that are built out of that one proclamation. Upon Peter I will build my church. Peter is the rock. No, Peter is called a pebble. The rock. And I'm not even talking of the rock of Gibraltar. I'm talking of the rock that would make Stone Mountain look like a little pea in a small river. I'm saying the rock that he's talking about that will not move, that is not shifting sand, that is a firm foundation. is the declaration that Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon that truth, upon that rock, Jesus says, I will build my church. And I love this, and you will too. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's pray together. Father, we love you today. We thank you that you are God and there is none other. Today, I pray in the name of Jesus that if there be somebody here that does not know you and the free pardon of sin, that today and today only, You will reach into their hearts and you will breathe healing life into them that they may become one of your children. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. What if I'm wrong? Pastor David, what if everything we're standing for is false? I think we have to play that. I hate to use that term. I think we have to play that devil's advocate if we really want to get serious with who this Jesus is. What if I'm wrong? What if you're wrong? What if you're here today and it's all in vain? You gotta ask that question. What if Jesus is not the Son of God? Say, Mark, that just sounds sacrilegious, even saying it. And I get it. It's hard for me to muster it out of my tongue. But let me let me just let me say this with you. What if I'm wrong and all that we do is a bunch of nothing that's not gonna count for eternity, that when we die, we just stink and die? I mean, let's just sit down and sing kumbaya and let's let's roast wieners by the fire and just realize that this is it. If that's true, if that's true, what are we doing? Well, before I answer that, let's answer the antithesis of that. What if Jesus is real? And what if he is the rock of our salvation? What if he truly is the ancient of days? What if he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father? But by what if what we're saying and what we're standing for and what we're preaching and what we're doing here today, gathering under the banner and under the auspices, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God? What if it is true and you live like it's not? You have everything to lose. You will stand naked before a holy God. And you will do so without any accolades, without any pocketbook, without any clothing, without any teacher, without any pastor, without mom, dad, boy or girl. Anything you have ever done will be burned up like wood, hay and stumble. You will never see a U-Haul tacked behind a hearse. You know why? Because you're not taking it with you. What if I'm right? And Jesus truly is the son of the living God. You're living today like he's not. And you've not accepted him because somehow your intellectual mind will not allow you to embrace the simplicity of the gospel. For God so loved that he gave. And you have all of eternity to lose. You can't deny that. You take the most academic atheists in this world. I won't even call their names. But if you take and get into a debate, you can date. You can get into a debate over carbon dating. You can get. Well, how, how did the Grand Canyon get there? Surely it wasn't something. Mean, let me tell you something. When he created a man, he created him with age. He was thirty-three years old, I believe, when he created him. You know what else? I believe that when he created trees, the Bible said he didn't create them as a sapling. He created them to have age upon them, so much so that they were bearing fruit the day he created them. When he created the earth, it could look with age. I don't understand all of that. But you know what I do understand? That it makes a lot more sense for me to believe that there was someone who, than just something happened and you and I came out of nothing. It takes a lot more faith to believe the opposite of Jesus is than Jesus is not. Let me go back to answer my question. So what if? What if we're wrong? We've seen today, what does the guy lose who doesn't believe and accept and receive? What does he lose? He loses eternity. What do we lose? If we're wrong, the worst that can happen is we lived a pretty good life. We've been kind to people that didn't deserve kindness that we fed people who might very well have come into our office over here on 310 North Church Street, Suite A, and walked in and said, I need some help. I have no food. And we give them food, and they walk out laughing at us going, we fooled another one. You know what? It doesn't matter because it means this. God told me to feed people. God told me to love people. He didn't say, if they deserve it. See, I leave all that sorting out to God. The worst that can happen is I try to be the best husband and best father and best man and best friend I can be. Because I'm aspiring to be like Jesus. I'm trying to. I'm failing at that. Don't say amen right there. I'm trying to do the best that I can. And you know what? I fail daily. It it doesn't matter. Oh, you're a pastor. Oh, no, no, no. I fail just like you fail. But this I know. Jesus loves me. This I know. For my Bible tells me so. Thank God. Thank God for a Savior. I won't get far today. I'm going to ask the band to come up, but I want you. I want to give you a couple things. I don't want to get into a block here as I say this, because I want you to get this. Seven I Am's, and I'm just, I'm just going to cover one today. Seven I Am's in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the bread of life. Who is he? He says, I am the bread of life. He declared this. Jesus spoke this. I'm the bread of life. Watch this. He who comes to me will never hunger. That's what we do with bread. We eat it. We, we're satisfied. But he goes on to say, oh, by the way, man should not live on bread alone, but out of every word that proceeded out of the word of God. Out of the mouth of God. But he didn't stop there. Wait a minute. He's the bread of life. That's all we're talking about is hunger. But he didn't say that. There's a comment. He said, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. I said, John 6, 35. Jesus is the one who spiritually sustains, and in him we will never stand in need. Don't miss this. Because we wonder sometimes, why are people begging? Why are people on the side of the road? Why are people homeless? I'll just tell you this. I don't understand some things. I don't understand how a God so gracious can allow that to happen. Until I marry together this idea that you and I are a free moral agent. Sometimes we just choose the path that we're on. Can you say amen right there? There's other times where maybe our parents, or maybe decisions, or maybe other things, bad things happen. The Bible says it rains upon the just and the unjust. There are people today that are homeless and have no means of knowing where their next meal has come from. And they didn't make bad decisions. They didn't choose the path that they're on. That maybe, just maybe, God has allowed them to step into a time of trial that he said is worth more than gold that perishes when tried by fire so that other people on the street where that person would never go gets to see Jesus in them. Why do I go through difficult times, Mark, if Jesus is the bread of life? And he says, you will never need, you'll never hunger, you'll never thirst. I'll tell you why. Do you know when you and I will call upon the name of Jesus more than any other time of our life? Do you know when it is? I do. It's when we're without. We won't call upon his name when everything's just flowing and kicking along real easy, will we? We get into a place of complacency. We might even start walking with a little bit more bump in our step. Like, man, man, this life thing is pretty cool. Life think it's pretty easy, man. Doing this church, this church plant's not so hard. Are you kidding me? And life is hard. Marriage is harder. Raising kids is harder than harder. Having grandpa- grandbabies, oh, that's easy. That's a breeze. I wish we'd have started there first. That was awesome. Being friends to people. Have you ever been a friend to a person who's just a jerk? Come on now, get your hands up. Don't look at your neighbor. But I mean, you know, sometimes it's tough to love people that are unlovable. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me, he will never hunger. Let's talk about that for just a minute. The psalmist said in Psalm 37, I believe it's in verse 25. The psalmist, King David, a man after God's own heart. Let me tell you what he said. He said, I was young, but I'm older now. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. Let me tell you something, and I can say this, and Stephanie can echo. There was times early in our marriage we were tithing, and I didn't even know why we were tithing, but we were tithing because she was. I mean, my mom had told us about tithing, you know. But 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 when it gets in, when it gets in your world, and you got like a hundred and fifty dollar paycheck for the whole month, and you're like going, we got like beanie weenies in the cupboard, and that's it, and you know that just gets old quick. And then the preachers over here going, you just need to tithe, you just need to give ten percent. I'm going ten percent of what? And it gets real. And then she just writes the check. You know, $15, you know, for the month. i was like, that's helping the church. You know, 15 bucks. You see, it wasn't about helping the church because church isn't broke. God's not broke. His kingdom is everything. He owns a cattle of a thousand hills. He don't need your and my money. But we need him. And we need obedience. Because he said, this point in time, I don't want your sacrifices. I'd just rather you be obedient. Stephanie would write that check, and i go, you know, that $15 could have bought some groceries. And all of a sudden, something come in on the flip side of that. And somebody walk in and not give us a check for $15 or, or a meal or take us out to a dinner. It's just, it just compounds. It's just pressed down, running over. And I go, how did that happen? Oh, because I'm the bread of life, Jesus says. Anybody who comes after me, he will never hunger. We see the manna falling from heaven in the book of Exodus. In the wilderness wonders, 40 years they walked around. 40 years they walked around, aimlessly around the same mountain. And they got to murmuring, hey, we'd just rather off be back there in bondage. At least there we have three square meals a day. And Moses made that declaration and that appeal to God. And he said, I got it covered. Tell them to go out tomorrow and the the ground's going to be covered with manna. If you will, a, a wafer bread, sweet to the taste. Tell them to go out there. But here's what I want them to do, Moses. I want them to go out there and I want them to collect enough for them and their family only. And I want them to collect it each day. Notice, they had to collect their own. You're not going to taste of the bread of life. His name is Jesus. Because somebody else believed for you. There was times, in, in Stephanie and I, in our, in our, maybe we weren't dating, maybe we were married, I don't remember. But we'd go to the restaurant what you want, baby? I don't want nothing. I'm not hungry. Some of y'all are laughing because you know that happens. And you're, you know, and then you get your food. And it, let me have some of that. I thought you wasn't hungry. Yeah, I wasn't. I'm not hungry. Can I have some of that? She told me one time, she said, When you make a salad, it just looks so much better than the salads that I made. So, what are you, where are you going with that? The Bible says In the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount, the longest discourse Jesus ever preached. Watch what he says. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. What do you mean? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Do you know how we can make people hunger and thirst after righteousness? Is when we're feasting on the manna from on high. When they see us feasting on God. When they see us walking in a, in a forgiving light. When they see us being kind to the people who are not kind. When they see us extending a hand to bring somebody out of a miry uh, pit. When we pull a hand out and, and bring somebody up and help them and encourage them. See, when we're feasting on the bread of life, his name is Jesus. Other people will go, I want that. I want what you got. I want the peace that you got. I want to I want to smile again. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He that comes to me will never hunger. Oh, and by the way, he who believes on me will never thirst. In John chapter 4, verses 13 and following, Jesus meets a woman at the well. And he tells her, He says, Woman, give me the drink. And she's sitting at Jacob's well, Israel's well, the foundational heartbeat of the children of Israel. She's sitting at the wellspring of life. Water in a Middle Eastern desert land was the most important thing they had. It was their lifeblood, to him. And she's sitting there that day as a half-breed, a woman that shouldn't have even been out there. And he talks to her. He takes time with her. He says, woman, give me to drink. She drops the well bucket down in there. He said, if you knew who asked you give me to drink, you would ask of me. <laughs> and I would give you a water. You're going to thirst again when you drink this water out of this well. But the water I give you, you will never thirst again. There will be a wellspring of water coming out of you. That others may be able to drink from your source. Why? Because I hungered and I thirsted after righteousness. I feasted on the manna from on high. I drank from the water. I drank from the fountain. And I love this. When I drink from the fountain, he says, then I'll make you a fountain. You become a source. I want to be a source of hope. I want to be a source of help. Do you want to do that today? Do you want to be a source? Don't you want to be a source? Just wave your hand up if you want to be a source. He says, I'm the bread of life. See, the bread of life is a sustaining power that you and I need today. Why? Because there's a God-sized, God-shaped hole in every heart of every person that was ever created. And only God can fill that void. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And we won't be satisfied until God, through the Holy Spirit, fills that void in our life. Money can't fill it. Friendships can't fill it. Stuff, accolades, homes, cars, can't fill that hole. I've seen people that had more money than they knew what to do with, and they're absolutely miserable. And then I've seen people who were some of the most humble, just didn't even probably know where the next week's paycheck was coming from, and they had this intestinal fortitude, this drive like I've never seen. And they're givers on top of that. And that thirst. Are you thirsty today? There's a a thirst that only Jesus can quench. So maybe you're sitting here today and you've asked yourself that question. What's the purpose of my life? To be a child of the Most High God. That's your purpose. And until you feel that God-sized, God-shaped hole in your heart, you're never going to be fulfilled. You're never going to be happy. You're never going to have joy. You're never going to make a difference. But when I accept Jesus as the Lord of my life, I invite Him to be the Lord over my life. When I die to self and I empty myself out, He then and then only fills me up and then I become a source for other people to see Christ in me. That others may see me and then hunger and thirst after that same righteousness. Who is Jesus? He is the bread of life. Are you hungry today? Feast on Him. Doesn't sound right, does it? Feasting on Jesus. Feast on his word. Not just today and to come back next week empty. Feast on him every day. Drink of that water source, the living water. I ask you to bow your heads with me today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. You came today, not just because someone invited you. You came today, not just because you decided to come over here. You came here today because before God framed the world, he ordained this moment, this second in time. That you would hear the clear presentation of the gospel. That God left His throne in heaven in the form of Jesus, a man who was fully God. He entered into humanity. He entered into time. He entered into the womb of a woman named Mary as a virgin. He was born and He lived some 33 and a half years. He lived a life without any mishaps. He lived without any missteps. He he lived a life without any, any bad choices. He was tempted and tried in all ways as you and I, yet he'd never sinned. Palm Sunday, the week leading into the Passion, he rode on a donkey just like Zachariah said he would. Not just any donkey, but a, but a small colt that had never been ridden before. The cloaks of the disciples laid upon the back of that small colt. And he entered into that city and the triumphal entry, the proclamation, he was about to go and declare, finally, in all things, that I am the Messiah. I am who you have been saying that I am. I'm about to make that declaration. They sang glory to God. Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Throwing their clothing and their palm leaves in front of his donkey that he wouldn't even have to walk upon the sand. Perform miracles, raise the dead, heal the lepers. Walked upon water, loved the unlovable, fed the hungry, gave water to the thirsty. Yet in just a few days after that triumphal infant entry, the same people shouted, crucify him as he stood in front of the mock trials with Herod and Pilate. And they said, crucify him, crucify him. He's a blasphemer. And yet the Bible said in Isaiah, yet he opened not his mouth. He said not a word because for that reason he came into the earth no we didn't murder him he offered his life a ransom he gave his life he laid it down willingly he said and if I lay it down I will raise it up in three days I will rebuild this temple And today we look back at that after he got up out of that grave three days later, conquering death, hell and the grave, taking the sting out of death. Victory was given to you and I. He who knew no sin, Jesus became our sin. That you and I may be made the righteousness of God in him. We get life. That's what we get as a result of everything that he gave. He gave his life that you may have life eternal. What will you do with Jesus? What have you done with him thus far? If you've accepted Jesus as the Lord of your life and you've invited Him into your heart, I want you right now, without hesitation, without debate, without any concern of what your neighbor thinks about you, if you know that you know that you know that you're a child of the Most High God, lift your hand right now. Lift it up high. Say, I know that I am. I'm a child of God today and I'm not ashamed of that. You can let your hands go down. Some hands could not go up today. What are you waiting on? Today is the day of salvation. This moment is the moment to receive the finished work of the cross. You came today because God wanted to tell you through His son and through the preaching under the inspiration of the holy spirit he loves you he loves you as you are he loves you in your failures he loves you in your mishaps he has paid for your sin he became your sin and you can be made righteous today you can be made whole you may not have it all figured out you may not understand all these things that i'm saying today but one thing i know that if you accept that you're a sinner that He's a Savior. You confess your sin, believing in your heart by His grace and through your faith He can save you right here and right now. Pray this with me from your heart to God. Father in heaven, I'm a sinner and I believe in Jesus and I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart, forgive all of my sin. Jesus, save me. Be the Lord of my life. Help me to live for you until the day you call me home.